0: What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. And thank you very much for tuning in to the Sports Card Show podcast. Got some, you know, after a five-hour show, I got some uh, feedback on the last show. So I appreciate all of you that hung in there and uh, listened to all five hours. That's uh, not easy to do. So I certainly appreciate it. And I thank you for... um, you know, even if you, I have podcasts that I listen to that sometimes go. I listen to this poker one, and one of the old co-hosts has, has come back, and now they're doing like six, seven, eight, nine hour shows, and I can't possibly uh, have the time to listen to the entire thing. But I try to speed th- speed through them. So, um, you know, during a five hour podcast, I'm sure there's some high points and some low points. So I appreciate anybody that attempted uh, to listen to. All of it or any of it on today's show. Got uh, you know, I didn't think I'd be back this quickly, but I have a couple listeners' questions. uh, Going back to last month, they sent me an email, and I was gonna make this the next show, but then we ran into uh, the National Sports Card Collector Convention, and my brother came on, and we did five hours. And I figure you guys probably need a day or two or a week or two to digest that amount of podcast listening, so. I decided to wait a little bit, and we now have our show where I've got some listener feedback. You can always send me your feedback, sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can get at me on Twitter at sportscardradio. You can comment on our Facebook page. All those links tend to be on our homepage, sportscardradio.com. So, Um, yeah, send me your questions, send me stuff you want me to talk about, even if we've talked about it recently, even if you, you know, just picking up the show for the first time or you've listened for a long time, um, always, Looking to hear from you on today's show. We're going to talk on the second half. We'll actually take a break today, and we'll talk on the second part about more check out my cards uh, strategies. Uh, as as some of you know, that's followed the show. I s- I have a main account, Sports Card Radio, and then I set up a second account, Sports Card Show, which I'm kind of testing some strategies and trying to actually really just kind of have fun buying and selling cards instead of really doing it for the you know not not that I was really doing it for the profit. Or for the money, or anything like that. But I know that there are people out there that are interested in that, are looking to take it maybe slightly more seriously, are looking to kind of put the pencil to the paper, so to speak, or really keep, uh, you know, fairly studious accounting records or whatever to see how much money or see how much uh, profit you can actually generate on a site like Check Out My Cards and other sites. You know, I'll talk about some of the strategies where you might. Buy cards elsewhere at a card show or on eBay or, or vice versa, and um, you know, kind of use it as a whole roundabout tool to be able to sell your card, buy and sell cards. So we'll talk about that on the first half of the show. I have a really nice question from an emailer named Chris, who um, has uh, you know an interesting question about kind of the future of cards, whether or not we're in a bubble or whether or not you know. Is there any growth left in the hobby? Can can the hobby uh, come back to heights that it saw in the 80s and 90s? And so we'll discuss that. Other than that, that's probably about all we'll talk about on today's show. Probably have some other shows lined up for you. Uh, It is August. And so we'll have some other shows likely lined up for you later this month. I mean, we're rolling right into the football. I know football season had its first game uh, last night. And so that was kind of interesting. I mean, I caught like maybe the first five minutes of the game or something. I don't really care about uh, this. Well, I care about the Steelers a little bit. I hope, you know, they don't do that well this year since I'm a fan of the Bengals. But, um, you know, we'll see how the football, the football season is 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 short, but it's it's long at the same time because there's long weeks in between games and there's, it seems like Teams that do really well. I remember last, beginning of last year, people were saying, Hey, the Bengals might be one of the best teams in the NFL. And then they, they went to the Patriots on a Sunday night and we saw who the best team in the NFL was. Um, so. We've got some exciting, th- you know, uh, baseball's kind of hitting the home stretch. I know a lot of teams are in it. It seems like almost everybody's team outside of maybe four or five have a shot. Uh, not necessarily a really great shot at making the playoffs, but everybody, if they got hot, could likely make the play. Or most teams could make the playoffs. And there's some, there's some teams, you know, like the Yankees are doing really well. The Cubs are doing really well um so there's some team the Giants are obviously hanging in there The Dodgers I believe are in first place in the division so there's some big time teams that are having really good seasons so I think baseball will really um be an exciting kind of stretch run we'll see what happens see if somebody other than the Cardinals or the Giants can actually win the World Series this year moving right along let's just run right into our topic again this is from an emailer I appreciate it uh this is back in July so he probably thought I forgot about him but uh, maybe his question actually is very in depth. And so it actually took me some time to kind of contemplate my thoughts on this. And so we'll kind of go through this and I'm going to read, uh, basically ex excerpts of his email here, because I think he puts it better than I can. So the emailer starts off, Chris starts off with, so all my adult collecting life, I've always heard about how terrible the late eighties and 1990s collector market was, widely it is acknowledged as the fall of the hobby in terms of overproduction that due to a sudden boom in the industry the complete mass-produced sets thus making future values decline dramatically so my question is is all that true if all of that is true, excuse me, if all that is true, which, which, which we're referring to the, the 80s and 90s being kind of overproduction and kind of creating a sudden boom and then decline in the, in the sports card industry, if all that is true, are we headed for a second major decline in trading cards? There are so many products coming out from the new companies that are out there that they are dwarfing the production numbers in the 80s and 90s. Will autographs and memorabilia become a dime a dozen and base cards be looked upon as useless in most cases? Can it be saved a sudden interest from in the hobby from new collectors? I think that's a good question. Can it be saved by a sudden interest in the hobby from new collectors? So let's go back to the first question. Are we headed for a second major decline in trading cards? Because... You know, you don't have to look at a release date calendar or follow t- your Twitter timeline or, or Panini and Tops. There's a new set coming out from somebody every other day. It seems like, you know, I mean, really, honestly, if you average it out for the whole year, it's almost every other day. This is not a, a, you know, booming, you know, iPhone, Apple comes out with like a new phone, which is one of the number one selling uh, devices in the whole country, Come out with a phone like every year, once a year. They haven't come out with a new iPad basically since the first one. So maybe product cycles are a little too quick in the hobby. But so are we headed for a second major decline? Um, I think, I don't know if we're at, you know, like when I think of the word decline, it's almost like you're at the top or near a top. I don't think we're near a top or at a top of the sports card industry. I just think we're kind of... I wouldn't say we're at the bottom. I would say we're... You know, almost treading water might be a decent uh, phrase to use. I think the sports card, the new sports card, I'll, ta- I'll, ta- I'll discuss, you know, my brother was at the National. And he talked about how there was a lot of people there and a lot of talk about how there's kind of this resurgent and vintage cards and things like that. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but... Speaking specifically on the new card market. So 2015 set that just came out and maybe going a few years back, two, three, four, five, even six, seven years back, that market. I think that market is, is, like I said, I think we're treading water. I don't think that we're at any kind of peak. So to say that we're in for some kind of major decline, I think would take us down near where they wouldn't even make sports cards anymore. I mean, that, that's happened in a lot of uh, collectible industries where they've been made for a while and then they stopped. And that's even happened, you know, to certain extents in, you know, basketball cards. There wasn't a major basketball, at least, you know, the publications out there for some reason think that a star set isn't, you know, that just because it was made and it wasn't, uh, you know necessarily had all the clear distribution channels as other sets before and after it it's reviewed as kind of this weird set so um but so that's happened Basketball's kind of gone through breaks where there wasn't a quote major manufacturer manufacturing and distributing cards and it certainly has happened in other eras and certainly in strike years you've had strike years where basketball cards were reduced and things like that but So I don't think we're headed for a second major decline. I just think we're kind of treading water. uh, Mainly because whoever is out there collecting cards now. I think we have a situation where we have a collector base. And that base is spending, I would guess, on average. Approximately about the same amount they do on cards as they did the year before. And so on and so forth. So I don't think... From our current collector base, they're not upping their spending in cards for whatever reason, the economy and other things. You know, there's lots of things that you can spend your money on these days. So there's a lot of factors into that. So I don't think we're headed necessarily to a second major decline. I just think the base we have right now isn't looking to increase their spending. And on top of that, I don't think the hobby is doing a very good job at attracting new collectors in. Whether it be younger kids, whether it be different uh, demographics. My brother talked about how collecting cards, and this is very true, collecting cards is a white man type industry and collectible for whatever reason. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying for whatever. And then there's lots of things out there that are collected by black females or Asian men. Everybody has their own things to go to, but I think if we want to grow the hobby, if we don't want to head toward, a, if there is another major decline coming, the one ways you fight that off is by attracting a larger demographic. And so I don't think the hobby does a great job at really attracting um, other demographics. In And it could be something with sports. I know all ethnicities, all genders love sports, but maybe the really passionate people about, about sports, I don't know this for a fact, but it could be that if you looked into the data, very passionate people that tend to collect cards or collect memorabilia or collect items from a sports team could be white males, Could could be a broad stroke there. I don't know. But uh, it also could be that where my brother was in the part of the country. We're out here from California where white males are almost, you know, could be in the minority. But I think the hobby could fend some of that off, fend a decline off or, or kind of grow the hobby again to attract women, attract kids. I don't think you necessarily need to attract kids of all ages, but target a certain age of kid and start trying to figure out ways that you can get them more engaged in trading cards. So um, to answer your question, maybe really in a concise uh, fashion you know, his question again, is it true that we are headed for a second major decline in trading cards if the 80s and 90s are kind of like a precursor or kind of a, you know, a a foreshadowing of what could be, be ahead? I don't think so. I think the industry has consolidated enough to where you have yeah, you have all these different brands Donruss, Topps, Score, Topps Chrome, Stadium Club, all these different brands, but they're really being made only by two companies now. And so I don't think we're headed for a second major decline, but at the same time I don't think I, I don't think we're at at, the, at a peak or at any kind of heightened place in the hobby to where we can decline much more. I think the hobby is already kind of on its back. Or kind of on the bench, so to speak, that, uh, you know, it's either you get cut and you don't play anymore or you get in the game and you start playing. So I think that's kind of where sports card new sports cards. Again, this is for 2015 sets, 14 sets, sets that have come out, say, in the last five to 10 years. Um, The second question was, um, will with autographs and memorabilia becoming a dime a dozen? and base cards somewhat useless is the market heading for another fall. I think that will, that could contribute to that's actually contributing to the kind of stagnation or kind of the flat line that we're seeing in trading cards. So I don't think, you know, if we, if we were to have less base cards, if we have a little bit more creativity around, um, different kinds of different kinds of sets i think one of the sets that uh that has been fairly well received was top stadium club baseball and everybody's like oh everybody's all excited about the photography and how the kind of the you know mild attention to detail the set received well that used to be every set virtually so it's you know it's hard for me to then say, hey, Tops, great job on Stadium Club. Hey, I'm going to go out and buy it. That's how every set they should make should be. Should have unique photographs. Should have interesting configuration. Should encourage you to collect all the cards or at least look at them front and back. That's, how, that's, that's like one set a year now is that way. So there's a reason why I think base cards and insert cards and things like that can be collectible. But the problem is, is the companies come out with only one or two sets a year where that is actually the focus. The rest of the time, they're too busy putting, one, like you said, $1, $2 autographs and 50 cent jersey cards in there. That, you know, nobody, the guy didn't even wear the jersey. One other point I want to make to kind of... Uh, maybe support my argument that we're we're in a flat period for sports cards. Um, Major League Baseball Players Association releases how much money T.O.P.S. pays them every year. And basically you can, uh, you know, extrapolate that as being a, a judgment for how many baseball cards that are being sold because – The MLBPA receives, as most of you know, a percentage of every sale that Topps makes. That's why it's a terrible, one of the worst businesses to be in, unless you're the MLBPA, Um, which probably don't ask for enough and, and probably don't distribute to the players enough. But anyways, back in 2007, so is the year Topps got an exclusive license, but I think Upper Decks was still kind of retiring some sets at this time mlBPA for all of baseball tops upper deck whoever made baseball cards at that time received twenty point nine eight million dollars that 's a lot of money, even if it divided out across uh, you know hundreds or thousands of players it's that 's a good amount of money two thousand and eight the year uh, the first year of a full exclusive license for tops nineteen point three million still a lot of money the following year two thousand and nine seventeen point five million still a lot of money. Then a huge decline. Something happened between 2009 and 2010. Tops only paid uh, Major League Baseball players 12.34. So remember, just three years prior, it was 20, almost $21 million. Now nearly half that of $12.3 million. After that, 2011... million. So that's five consecutive years of declines. Next year declined again to its lowest level on record. 9.9 million in 2012. So nobody was collecting baseball cards in 2012. 2013, 10.5 million. So it ticked up a little bit in 2014, 10.45 million so roughly the same as last year so year over year since 2011 it's been in that nine you know 10 million to 10.5 million almost you know very consistently so cards for the last four years four calendar years have been flat and so you know if they decline much further the hobby and these companies are probably gonna figure out something else to do But obviously, there's some room to grow. They used to send the PA double what it used to. And it's not that the PA has cut its royalty rate. I'm sure it, it ticks up very slightly um, as the years go on. So in terms of autographs, with autographs and memorabilia kind of becoming a dime a dozen and, and base cards kind of be useless, is that going to head for another fall? I think that's headed. that's keeping us where we are, Chris. I think that... You know we're gonna stay stagnant if all the companies do is put out products that cost a hundred dollars or hundred twenty five dollars and more with four or five autographs per box and a jersey card and that's it and that's all they pay attention to, then yeah I think we're gonna stay exactly where we are. If the card companies go back to creating more collectible things, they don't have to be valuable. Just because autograph cards and jersey cards are perceived to be more valuable doesn't make them necessarily more collectible. I don't care if cards, what cards are worth to get, to sell more of them, they need to be more collectible. And oftentimes those two things go hand in hand. I'm sure many of you are thinking that, that if it's really collectible, oftentimes there's a lot of demand and uh, they're very desirable and often somewhat expensive or cost more so those two things can go hand in hand, but I think the card companies would be far better off worrying about and thinking about and developing sets kind of like top stadium club, more sets like Bowman where you, you know, yes, you're trying to hit the autograph rookies and the, the refractors, but there is some emphasis on kind of that first Bowman card or look at top series one. They spend all this money and all this time on this the number one set they make, and very few people buy that to be hitting relic cards and autograph cards. Yeah, if you get them, it's often an, it's nice and they're nice cards. But oftentimes people are trying to complete the insert sets or trying to complete the different parallels, trying to complete the whole base set. And I think Tops obviously does a far better job at that. Um, partly because they have a longer history of doing that than Panini. Panini is one of the bigger culprits in kind of dumping a bunch of autograph and dumping a bunch of memorabilia onto the market and caring very little about making the the other cards or even the autographs themselves collectible. So I think we'd we'd see uh, more interest in the hobby if, the the company spent a little bit less time on these autographs and memorabilia cards, and spent more time on the cards that um, people can actually collect and kind of inquire. Because I don't know about you, I know there's collectors out of there that want every autograph and every memorabilia card. But for me, it's like once I have, once I buy a Brandon Cooks autograph card, I don't need ten of them. After I buy, I bought some Bengals autographs, like a Dre Kirkpatrick autograph, and I bought uh, Muhammad Sanu and George Iloka and some other player. I have an AJ Green autograph that I've had for a while, and an Andy Dalton autograph that I've had for a while. I don't need another one. I don't need five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them. And maybe it's the same thing with uh, you know a, a base card or something like that. But I think there's less of a barrier there. You know, if I wanted to get 10, 15, 20 Andy Dalton cards, I I could easily afford and almost everybody could easily afford uh, non autograph ones. So I think that companies would be better suited if they focused a little bit more on the collectible side and less and less on the autographs and the memorabilia. Make those kind of... Um, a part of a set, but not the reason you actually buy the set. No, I mean, not, not every set has to be like that. Obviously higher end sets, four or five, $600 sets. You're expecting to get that kind of value in that kind of card. But uh, those sets, honestly, I don't think make the companies very much money. The four, five, six hundred $600 set. They, there's not a lot of margin there because there's just not a lot of volume. Think about the work and the effort that has to be put into those sets. Um, versus how many are on the market and how many of us get to open those versus a cheap top a three dollar tops pack or a two dollar Donruss pack or whatever it might be. Those sets have a much wider appeal. Um, last question here: Can it be saved by a sudden interest in the hobby from new collectors? And I think. Yes, I think I. I don't think we'll see. I think he has the word "sudden" in here. So to take his question, take Chris's question very literally, can it, referring to the hobby, be saved by a sudden interest in the hobby from new collectors? I. I think taking out the word sudden and saying interest, I don't think we're gonna have some sudden interest and all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of people are gonna start collecting cards. It it happens in in kind of micro environments where you have a new rookie or a new crop of players or someone like Chris Bryant, you know, kind of surging up some demand or some interest in the cards, but I I don't think we'll see a widespread kind of sudden interest in the hobby. Um, unless not to harp on this point for you know a lot because I think most of you get this the only way the hobby will get sudden interest is by attracting new collectors new demographics women I think is would be explosive if women I've said this on the podcast many times Women are the best consumers when you compare them. Comparing to men, there's almost no comparison. Let me tell you about men. I have websites that are often geared toward, I have a few websites that are geared toward women. And I do far, considerably less marketing. I almost need to do just two days of marketing for a site designed towards women. Because women, number one, they use Pinterest which in my opinion is Google needs to go out. I'm sure they've already talked about or probably been in discussions with buying them because Pinterest is, is you know, Google's search share is eroding in the United States. I mean, not at, not to a point to where you, you know, you'd have to be super alarmed if you're in the headquarters of Google, but it's eroding and it's because of things like Pinterest. It's a, an amazing website. I don't, I use it, obviously, for my own marketing purposes. But uh, most of the women I know and I hang out with use it basically the way Google was used several years ago. So it's a, it's a fantastic marketing tool. And if you have a website or a pin on there that kind of gets picked up and repinned and whatnot, you don't have to do anything. You you get repinned by a few people and all of a sudden it's kind of a network effect. It's It's more... Useful for for me uh, from a marketing standpoint than any other website. Pinterest is amazing, and I, I hope, I wish that the same thing. I hope guys start using Pinterest because then it'll make my job even easier. But I don't necessarily see that happening at least in the short term. But um, attracting women, I think, would be more. And I mean, obviously, there's women that collect cards, but I think if we could get a healthier mix. Women are often the decision maker with kids. And so I think that's the gateway into getting kids to collect. I think, um, you know, not that dads are all disengaged from their sons or daughters and and trying to get them to collect cards. But I think guys are are maybe slightly less influential or, you know, successful in that kind of uh, influence than maybe women are. Women also shop. They're holistic shoppers my wife will go to the store and and we'll want one thing and she'll come back and, and she'll have spent three four hundred dollars on a bunch of stuff we didn't need so i often like have to make sure when my wife's going to target or going to some of these stores i have to go with her otherwise she'll buy half the store and so obviously that's the, and I remember working at a card store and the few women that would come in, they would come in and they'd be like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And they would just buy it. So I think the hobby could get an interest and a sudden interest if it was able to attract a different demographic. Obviously sports you're up against sports in general. Uh, I mean, yes, women are a big part of a lot of uh, teams, especially out here. San Francisco Giants have a tremendous amount of, you know, I'll call them mainly front running female fans. Can't tell you how many women didn't give a crap about the Giants for 20 years and all of a sudden they win. And now they're, quote, the biggest fan ever. And that's fine. but sports cards also are kind of have been kind of a male thing, something that guys do. And so, you know, creating some sets, yeah, you know, I don't think you necessarily need to make them pink and put a bunch of ribbons on them. I don't I don't think women are necessarily looking for that kind of thing, but figuring out a way to market the cards. You don't have to change them that much, I don't think. I think women would enjoy opening cards and maybe, you know, I think they women would rather do something with the cards or collect the sets or organize them in a certain fashion i think or do something you know crafty with the cards i don't know if i'm i'm hitting on all the all the right notes here but i think you guys get what i'm saying i don't women aren't you know guys will get their card and they'll carefully put it in the sleeve and then they'll put it in the box or you know tell everybody hey look at me i i i bought this card you know Women, I think, will do the same thing. They would buy a card and they would tell everybody, but then they'd want to, um, encourage others to, or help others complete their set or help others, um, you know, create their own collection or create their own kind of maybe art piece or something like that using the card. So I think there would be ways to do that. Um, So I hope that answers your question, Chris. Thanks again. Anybody else that has a question um, can always send it in to me. Um, In short, you know, since I talked for 30 minutes there, 30, 40 minutes. um, In short, I don't think we're going to see a sudden boom in the industry. I don't think we're going to see sudden interest. At the same time, I don't think we're going to see continue to see any major declines. I think the hobby is already kind of consolidated and kind of is at the spot it's at right now. Like I said, I think we're kind of like the 10th, 11th to use a, maybe a basketball reference. We're like the 10th, 11th, 12th guy on the team. You know, we come in, you know, if hobby was a, if the hobby was a basketball player, he'd come in and blow out games. If, if, you know, the starter and the backup got hurt, then, yeah, we'd probably get to start or we'd play heavy minutes. But outside of that, we're not playing. We're not in the game. We're not starting. But at the same time, I think our job, you know, we have a four- or five-year contract. They can't cut us. You know, I think that we're safe in that sense, that we're not going to, the hobby's not going to get cut and Panini and Tops aren't necessarily going to go out of business. I think what could could throw a, a huge wrench in the whole hobby, you know, throw it for a whole loop, is if some new money came in. If Tops were to finally able to sell, trust me, Tops wants to sell. The owners of the majority owner of Tops, a private equity firm, does not buy businesses to hold them and maintain them and to build them into awesome companies. They don't do that. There's other equity firms and stuff like that that do that. Madison Dearborn Partners does not do that. They do not buy companies to keep them for especially as long as they have tops. They just bought it at a really bad time and they can't sell it. And likely, quite honestly, Tops probably generates some free cash because they hire people for nothing. They have offices in in Manhattan, New York where If you're not making six figures, you're poor. Literally. It costs a lot of money just to park your car, let alone get there. Most people don't have cars in New York. But to get anywhere costs a lot of money, let alone rent an apartment that's, you know, more than a couple hundred square feet. So... They pay their workers nothing. They don't, they've just recently hired some, uh, you know, kind of management, board of directors type people actually have some people that I would say in charge, but that's really on the digital side. Tops is, is putting a lot of money into that side of the business. And, um, so we'll see if that's able to become an attractive asset and maybe they spin that off. I don't know. Maybe they're able to keep the digital. Maybe the digital assets are what they want to keep and they spin the, the baseball cards off or vice versa. I don't know. Really, I think you kind of need the whole package of the company. I think that's why they're, you know, the strategy is build up this digital business so then somebody that wants to buy the digital business has to buy the card business because of the licenses and the kind of the nature of the customer and etc. cetera. So I think that's the strategy likely because trust me, I know I've been saying this for a while tops is for sale tops. You know, they don't want the, the they don't want that business, blah, blah, blah. And many of you probably, are, Oh, you know, they're, you know, it hasn't sold yet. Well, guys, they're trying to trust me. If there was somebody out there willing to buy it for the right price, they would, have, they would have gladly sold it and got rid of it. Just so happened. It's basically like buying a house. They bought Tops in 2007. That's exactly like buying a house. And sure, if you bought it in San Francisco, if you bought in Miami or on the coast in New York, I know the real estate properties have come back. But there's a lot of areas in the country where it hasn't come back like that. So they basically have a house that they bought for you know, $350 million that isn't worth anywhere close to that, at least as it stands today. We'll see. So I don't think we're headed toward a second major decline. I think the companies, uh, you know, with autographs and memorabilia kind of becoming a dime a dozen, th- that will keep us – if they if the companies keep doing what they're doing, namely Panini, since they're the ones that are going to be coming out with, you know, all basketball cards, all football cards, they're going to kind of be controlling a large person of the market. If they keep coming out with sets – That are really designed for... Kind of this breaker... Breaker community. I don't know if that's... A real community or not. But I think we're... You know... We'll stay where we're at. We're not going to attract... Any new collectors that way. Obviously. Group breaking's been around... Long enough now. To where... If it was going to blow up the hobby... And bring in all these new demographics... And really create a lot of buzz... You know, it would have happened by now, would have happened by now, but it's not. And really what it's done, I know that I've said this many times on on the show, it hasn't grown the hobby one bit. All it's really done is taken the money that used to be spent on unopened boxes or kind of, you know, group breaks that were organized on the side or on forums. It's taken that money and just those people that are buying into breaks would have been spending this money normally anyway i know some people they'll get into it oh i spent way more on breaks this month i think on average though yeah there's a few people that have probably gotten into it more a little more serious with the breaks but i think on average those people have just would have bought unopened boxes at some point or gone to the shop and and busted a bunch of packs so i don't think it's really created any sudden interest so I hope that helps answer. Thanks again for your question, Chris. You can contact me anytime, uh, as long uh, along with the rest of you out there. Uh, SportsCardShow at gmail.com. You can get at me on Twitter at SportsCardRadio. And uh, all the other places you can find me. Well, coming up, we're going to take a break. Yes, that's right. We're going to take a break and come back right after this quick break. We'll come back with... Uh, more check out my cards, um, kind of tips and advice. I'll, you know, it's been maybe two months, three months since I, I kind of set up another guy deposit a hundred bucks, and to kind of see, you know, what can I do with that hundred bucks? How, you know, wh- how far can it go? How quickly can I kind of turn the money over? And so I'll talk about that, and um, you know, some other things, whatever else we can figure out right after this one time, one time, one time. When got my heart even though it's struggle, love is all we got so we gon' keep keep climbing to the mountains our our next uh, segment is from uh, Twitter from a while ago again last month this guy's probably thought probably unfollowed me and and thought i was uh uh ignoring him a widen a w i d e n nine one at a widen nine one um looks like his name is ari so thanks uh for the question he says huge fan of the podcast and congrats on the anniversary this is back when we were i think our sixth or seventh anniversary says he's been getting into check out my cards can you do a podcast focused on strategy okay So I started a second account with check on my cards. I deposited $100 and I've not deposited any money since then. I've not sent in any cards either. So all the money I've generated has come from the site. So I started with $100. I currently have 57 cents. So I'm down low. But I will say that my stats are I have 529 cards that I've purchased and that, that are for sale actually 503 so I have some cards that I haven't listed for sale I have a total asking price of $202 so if I were to sell everything for full price which I don't expect and I'll go over that in a second um, I will have netted $202 so minus the 20% that, that uh, check on my cards would take if I were to withdraw it and I'd be left with what's that uh, you know 180 bucks so I'll have netted $80 it's not bad And again, I've only set this, I sent this account up a while back. So I've purchased 2,000, since opening this account, I've purchased 2,196 cards and I've sold 1659 So I've sold a very large percentage of what I bought. So basically, you know, the 500 cards I have in my account, I have not sold yet. I will say that I shipped some cards to myself. I shipped one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cards to myself, including one that cost $42, two that cost about $10, and a handful of other ones that cost anywhere between, five, you know, $2 and $5. I I bought roughly 75 shipped 75 dollars worth of cards to myself so you can look at it as hey i have 202 dollars for sale but i have 75 dollars worth of cards coming to me which i'm sure if i put it on ebay or if i uh, needed to sell those cards or i could send them right back to check on my cards i probably could get you know 40 50 after fees and stuff like that so i've done fairly well i think in that sense um, the last, actually, kind of on a really, just really quick side topic, I bought an A.J. McCarron autograph. He's the backup quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think, I didn't do this for this specific reason, but I was thinking about this. I think for some of you out there, you could really, use this, especially in football, I think basketball, you'd be wasting your money. I think baseball, it'd be too hard, and it'd probably be you know, not worth your time or your money either. But I think football... If you have a significant collection of somebody, like a quarterback or a running back, and you're worried about the value going down or worried about where the value is going to go, or maybe you're one of these guys that kind of almost prospects, so to speak, in football, I think hedging your bet a little bit. So to use the Bengals situation, maybe you bought four or five Andy Dalton cards, and you'll want to sell them before he totally gets booed out of the building in Cincinnati or before he gets hurt, or something bad happens to him. You want to sell them. I think to protect yourself a little bit, because you're running the risk of him getting, you know, having a devastating injury, then all of a sudden, guess whose cards are going to go up before he even plays a game? Before he even steps onto the field, A.J. McCarron cards will be going up in value how much I don't know kind of depends on where the Bengals are in their season or what the circumstances are but anything happens to Danny Andy Dalton he loses his job he gets hurt he declines in, in popularity declines in ability whatever it might be AJ McCarron right now is set to take over a lot of that so That could change. Backup quarterbacks I know come and go, but I think you could kind of hedge your bet. So I actually bought not for this reason. It was because it was a real I bought a AJ McCarron autograph for five bucks. And it was, you know, they sell all day on eBay for, you know, ten to thirteen dollars. I think somebody had a sale. So um, you know, I think you could do that. So I have an Andy Dalton card, and I kind of bought this A.J. McCarron card really for the purpose of if the Bengals don't play him, I think he could develop into a guy they could trade or could move on to another team for his opportunity. That often happens with quarterbacks. They often get that one opportunity, at least one opportunity. And so that's your time to kind of – it's kind of like when a prospect like Chris Brank got called up the MLB. That was your time to sell uh maybe you yeah, know the cubs are looking pretty good they have this arietta guy that's on steroids i mean sorry cubs fans but you're used to your players being on the sauce and this jake arietta guy oh my god i haven't you know i haven't seen a pitcher with that kind of build since the steroid age so Forgive me for being skeptical, but golly, I hope he gets tested or whatever he's on is is the real stuff right now because he looked like he could play linebacker uh, for a, a couple teams in the NFL. That's how big his shoulders were, like, popping up. That's how big his muscles were, like, his, like, I don't know what muscle that is, but, like, basically, like, I mean, it might be your, like, deltoid muscle on your shoulder blade. When it goes up and above your shoulder, you know you are you are juicing. Trust me. I know, I've known enough people. I've had friends that have done steroids. Trust me, they work. They're spectacular. Um, uh, you know, so it's obvious when somebody is taking them. and I think Jake Arrieta, I think if you have his cards, I would, I would sell. Because I think he's, once he comes off the sauce or whatever, when it, whenever he stops taking whatever he's taking, I think his ability will come. I mean, he has some tremendous stuff. He throws the ball really well. He has tremendous stuff, but, um, I, I don't think, uh, don't think he can stay on whatever he's taking right now. I don't think he can take it for very long. So now that I've sidetracked a little bit, let's get back on to check out my card. So the strategy that I've used, is you hit when you're logged in to check on my cards, you just hit go on the search box. Don't type in anything in the search box, just hit go and then sort by lowest price. And then what I like to do is I like to search either by text or by list so um, you get a kind of a clear picture. And so often I was on here the other day, there was a one cent Luau Deng uh, laundry tag card out of two, somebody priced it at one cent. Obviously, it was either a mistake or someone was trying to very quickly. I don't recommend that if you're trying to transfer one card to another account. I don't recommend putting it for one cent. And trying to transfer it because somebody might come in there and scoop it. I almost did. I clicked. I was there. I clicked on it, but it sold uh, by the time. Oftentimes, too, those the, it's an accident. I don't think somebody meant to price a, a, a laundry tag card. That probably I don't know what it would sell for. It was that immaculate collection. I'm sure it's a you know at least a fifty to seventy five dollar card, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, obviously, if it was someone even more popular than Luo Dang, it's a, it's several hundreds of dollars. So obviously it was some kind of mistake likely. And so sometimes those transactions get reversed. Even if you were able to score that kind of deal on Checkout My Cards, that transaction would be reversed. But you'd be surprised. You would be surprised what you – like I, my whole point is you would be surprised the prices you can get on Checkout My Cards if you just search the lowest price cards. There will be cards on there for a penny. Often, almost every day, or maybe not every day, but at least once or twice a week, I'll do exactly what I said. Hit go, sort by lowest price. You know, if you're on a computer, it usually saves your settings, so you don't have to sort it every time. You'll be surprised. There's cards on there for one cent. Guys, that's free. Remember, it costs 25 cents or more plus shipping, plus your time, plus the boxes, supplies, etc. It's over 30 cents a card to get a card on of My Cards. If somebody is giving it to you for selling it for one cent, that is free. And you can price that card at two cents and it will sell uh, almost as fast as you bought it. Pretty much the lowest price you'll see a card kind of sit around on Check On My Cards is in that five to six cent range. Seven cents is often kind of the lowest price card. Now I'm not recommending going on there and buying every six every card that's priced for a penny, just buy it. Every card that's priced for two cents, just buy it. Because you can at worst, you're gonna be able to price it at four or five cents and it's gonna sell. Um, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cents, you have to be a little bit more. Um, selective and the great thing about check out my cards it's it it kind of shows you this now they show you the supply and the demand for it um they'll show you the number of cards they'll say 111 i'm looking you know right now 111 of this darwin rivera cards are on the site don't buy that for six cents also when you click that card the next lowest price is eight cents so there's no margin there you're not going to be able to buy that card and reprice it for anything higher than two or three cents higher. That's not worth your time. You're looking for cards that you can double your money on. You can price it for double, and I'll get to the reason why that is. Um, so you want to buy if you're buying a card for six cents, you want to price it for twelve cents or more. If you buy it for seven cents, you want to price it for fourteen cents or more. And the reason for that is, you know this is not always the case. I bought cards for 7 $0.08 cents and, and repriced them at $0.25, 30 $0.40 cents a dollar sometimes. Sometimes guys get on here and just dump it. I don't know what, what they're reasoning for it. Maybe they really need the money. Maybe they have the other cards waiting to be processed and they just want to get rid of what's on there. Um, they'll just dump cards very cheaply. There are certain sellers, too, if you're on here a lot. Like I, you know, not, I'm not on here a lot, but once or twice a day, I'll check it. You'll see certain sellers. There are certain sellers that just blow stuff out for whatever reason. So that's the strategy I've been doing. I've been buying cards for five, you know, five ten cents and reprice them for twice as much. Occasionally I'll buy a little bit higher dollar card. Um, but I don't, I don't often buy the high dollar cards unless I would avoid if you're looking to turn your money over relatively quickly, I would have avoid the high dollar cards for a number of reasons. Number one, high dollar cards people avoid them on the site because they're hard to resell They sell a little bit slower so this whole group like me that is just on check on my cards and there's a lot of people like me that are just on check on my cards to kind of buy and flip the cards we're not buying dollar cards so you're you're eliminating one of the bigger buyers on the site. Or people like me that are buying and kind of flipping cards. Number two, got to be careful who you buy of the dollar cards. The dollar cards I'll buy, Derek Jeter, Kobe Bryant, Emmitt Smith, Tom Brady, Troy Aikman, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Barry Sanders. Hall of Fame, you know, no doubt about it, Hall of Fame type players. Sure, they can go kill somebody like OJ, Allegedly. And their values can fluctuate. You know, OJ values went sky high. And I think for a minute there, Aaron Hernandez cards went, went up for whatever reason. So, but I, when I'm buying $1 cards, 75 cent cards, a little bit higher value cards, I'm either looking to ship them to myself or I'm looking for that kind of, um, you know, top, top end player. Occasionally, I'll take shots in basketball where I know the game very well, and I know the opportunities that are emerging. I can see free agents, and I can see guys come and go until I know, hey, this guy on this team is going to get an opportunity this year. This guy on this team is going to occasionally take shots there, but it's a a very small percentage of my portfolio. I think I have a couple uh, basketball players that I've purchased uh, on check on my cards since we're in the heart of the off season in the basketball where nobody gives a crap about basketball I have bought a couple players that I saw in summer league that I think could translate into the the NBA so um, the strategy I've been using buy very cheap cards and turn them over to sell now I've only been with 500 cards on the side I haven't been selling very many cards per day I sell maybe five to six cards per day that's why I'm down at 57 cents. So I'm hoping there's not some really good deals that come on here because I'd like to keep my investment at $100 because it's just easier to remember. But um, if something, some really good deals pop up, I do reserve, I probably will deposit some money. Maybe to make up for, maybe I'll deposit the same amount of money that um, I kind of withdrew by uh, getting cards essentially shipped to me. So... Again, earlier I said I have my cards priced at $202 and I probably paid about $100 for the cards, maybe a little bit less than that, probably $80 or $90 for the cards. And I'm looking to double my money. The reason why I'm doing that is one, you need to remember that check on my cards when you withdraw your cash, they take 20%. So I like to have a a higher than a 20% margin. On my sales, that's not for everything because you're turning the card over multiple times. You're turning your dollar over multiple times on check on my card, so you don't necessarily need to have a twenty percent margin on every sale. Um, only if you were to deposit or buy cards and then sell them and then withdraw the money very quickly, will you need to make sure you're over twenty percent. But um, often cards to get cards to sell very quickly on this site, you kind of need them fifty percent off. And, and, and it's sales time. I actually tested this theory. Uh, one of the, one of the strategies you can do on checking my cards is buy cards or send cards in and have them priced for a while, kind of see if you can get full price. But once they sit there for a while, you can run a sale and you can run, you know, what I like to do is I, I know I paid, I know every card in this account I paid. Over half off what I have it listed for. So I can comfortably run. a. Usually what I do is about a 45% off sale. And I kind of clear out all that inventory. I ran a sale a while back. And I might be able to find this sales history. So I ran a sale a while back. Actually, that's not it. I ran a sale a while back on Checking My Cards where I, I priced everything at 45% off. And that was to kind of test if I can kind of clear out some inventory and now give you my stats. So there was a spring cleaning sale that was at 622. That was about when I set the, the, my account up for this. So it's been, you know, roughly two months now. I, I had an amazing success. The time you're going to sell a lot of cards, specifically I'm priced right is around spring cleaning sales and then black Friday sales. And that's, you know, with every retail, you know, you have kind of seasons, I sold, I started my account, I sold 14. I remember I started with zero cards. I bought over 1,400 and I sold 1,495 of them during the spring cleaning sale for $196 in sales. So that can kind of give you an idea. If you need, I think what I should emphasize here, here's a really key point about check on my cards. It's not, if you're looking to get money very quickly, Check out my cards, and cards in general are not for you. If you want a lot of money, if you want to turn $100 into $200 or turn 100 into 500 sports cards is not for you. No site is for you. Maybe you get lucky like I did. I deposited $100, I bought 1,500 cards, I sold them all, and I made $96. Now, minus 20% the check on my cards would would take, and I netted, what, 170 bucks or so. So I made $70 in probably about a two-week, you know, one to two-week time period of kind of buying the cards and, you know, pricing them and relisting them. Not eight hours a day type, uh, you know, sales, but... um, You get the idea. But that is abnormal to think you're going to come on here on Check on My Cards, buy 1,500 cards and have them sell almost instantly a week later. It it doesn't happen very often. Doesn't happen. Unless you are able to get the cards extremely cheaply. And that was the thing with the spring cleaning sale. I was buying the cards very cheaply because people, that is the time to buy. If you want to reduce the amount of time you're on Check On My Cards to maybe a few times a year, go in there during spring cleaning and Black Friday and try to do it right when the sales open up. You're going to buy a tremendous amount of cards um, for very good prices, either prices that are more attractive than what you can get on eBay or online or at card shows or for flipping purposes, for resale purposes. Since then, I ran a a second sale to kind of test my strategy. I probably had maybe 500 cards at the time on the site. I can't remember exactly how many cards. My sale didn't go. It was only a one-day sale, literally a 24-hour sale. And actually, I ran it on July 4th. So it might not have been the like the best day to run it. It might have been a good day to run it. It might have been a bad. I don't know. Holidays, people tend to have the day off, but on a July 4th, you're tending to spend it with your family. So I might not have listed it on the best day. I'll probably test the strategy again later on. But I sold 90 cards for $25. Now that might not seem like a lot, but I probably only again, I probably only had Three to five—I don't remember exactly how many cards I had on me at the time, but I didn't have that many cards. I think if you only sold ninety cards and you had ten thousand cards, that's a fail of a sale. Remember, check out my cards for a sale charges three dollars a day and three percent of sales. So this twenty-four dollars that I made is not super impressive considering check out my cards uh, pocketed well in excess of ten percent on my sale. But that is another strategy you can do. You can kind of buy cards, price them high, and then run a sale. There are there are many sellers that are constantly basically running a sale on the site pretty much all the time. I don't recommend that. I think you should pick your spots when you run a sale, um, but certainly can be effective. Anytime check out my cards gives you the opportunity to run a free sale, like they do at spring spring cleaning and Black Friday. Take advantage of it. Even if it's just 5% or 1% or whatever or certain cards that you're marking down, I would take advantage of it and certainly take advantage of that time to buy. Um, Other strategies that will work on check on my cards I think are, you know, if you have a way to acquire the cards very cheaply, if you have a card shop, I remember people would come in to my card shop and they, you know, their car got there running on empty. And they were not leaving the store until they got gas money. And for me, that gave me a tremendous amount of leverage. And being one of the, and shops have a tremendous advantage because in the day you used to go to one shop. If he didn't give you a good price, you went to the other shop. Now you can't do that really. Unless you're like in San Diego County or Chicago or some of these hotbeds that have multiple stores and kind of a, a small geographic location. That doesn't happen anymore. So if you have a shop or if you have a way to buy cards, you have a tremendous amount of leverage because people, especially if they have a lot of cards, because there's a lot of time and a lot of effort involved in in selling like big, big, huge lots of cards. So if you have ways to get cards very cheaply and offload them, then then that's something I would recommend. You could buy them at extremely attractive prices, afford to send them in to check out my cards. And sell them uh, that way. I think that's one strategy. I I've tested that a little bit here and there with eBay. Again, you got to pick your spots. And again, if you're looking for quick money, that is not the way to do it either. If you're looking for quick money, I. I You know, I probably should have another podcast on like quick money ideas or maybe devote a segment. Maybe when I'm when I run out of things, I have one topic to talk about, but I want to maybe extend the show out a little further. Maybe do an off topic segment. I'll do a quick money segment. If you want if you need or want quick money, there are ways to get it. But but remember, quick money means high risk. If there's not high risk involved in getting quick money, it's one, it's either illegal, it's almost always illegal, or it's dangerous. Selling drugs is quasi-illegal, um... You know, other types of quick money schemes on the Internet and stuff like that are often not necessarily illegal, but they could get you in hot water with whoever you're making money off of. Whether you're running Google AdSense ads or you're your affiliate, there's lots of like really tricky and kind of, you know, frowned upon ways to make money there. Um, but there's quick money that can be made. The quick money that I think is is legal. I, I don't know how, you know, It's legal. To make quick money in the stock market, but you're you're gonna ri- your risk is also extremely high as well. But at least you won't go to jail or selling drugs or doing illegal stuff, doing raffles and things like that. People were doing that. I mean, you, you wonder why people were doing that is because it was quick money. But you run the risk of getting in trouble at some point. Um, the quick money in the stock market is often through options trades, which is really not necessarily quick money, but it's very risky, but you can make a lot of money, uh, trading options, but the more, um, probably I wouldn't say the easier way, but probably an easier way for you to understand options trades are a little tricky and you have to get approved by a broker to be able to trade them. I think the, um, The other quick money strategy is buying, they're called levered ETFs. There's ones in oil that trade. So if oil goes up 1%, a 3X ETF will trade three times in that same direction. So if oil goes 1%, the levered ETF goes 3%. If oil goes 10%, you go 30%. And you can play the market both long and short. Don't think you have to just predict the market's going to go up. If you think it's going to go down and you're confident about that, why don't you put a, roll the dice a little bit and buy one of these? There's 2X ETFs, there's 3X. I don't know if there's 4X, 4 times ETFs. I don't know. If they are, but I I play around with the oil ones since oils had a spectacular move, kind of down. You could you made money on the way down, and it was it was magnified um, using kind of levered ETFs. And I'll do this. I've done the same thing with the bounce that we had in oil um, over the last few months. I played it on the upside. Luckily, I sold out. Uh, not not at the peak, but I sold out for a profit. And now oil has come down, and I'll probably figure out which way it's which way i think it's going to go and that's a way to make some extra money again it's very risky but it's legal and the money comes to my account and it's quick money there's other quick money things you can do out there cards are not one of them so i'll stress that i think people um i've talked to in the past not necessarily are are Ari on Twitter, I don't think he was necessarily looking for quick money advice, but I think a lot of people get, get the wrong idea about Check Out My Cards. They think it's quick money. They think it's quick sales and, and quick money in your pocket. It's, it's totally the opposite. You need to look at Check Out My Cards as kind of a long-term investment, kind of a long-term thing that you're going to do, and kind of a side thing. It's not going to be your job. Don't think you're gonna be able to get on check on my cards and double, you know, your money. Or if I deposited, you know, there was a you know, I deposited a hundred and as you saw a week later after my sales, I had another hundred and ninety-six dollars in sales. So I made 70 bucks. It, it wouldn't scale up from there. I wouldn't have been able to deposit ten thousand and walk away with nineteen thousand. It just doesn't. There's not that kind of scale here. So again, if you have You know, if you have your site set low if you want to start with $100 you want to start with $200 or $500 I think you could even start with $1000 you don't really need to start with much more than that the reason why I deposited $100 is because that's about all you need and just keep in mind there's a cash out penalty of 20% so you want to keep that in mind or do what I did and buy some cards that you kind of want and uh, ship them to yourself. Now, I bought a couple cards that I will likely, again, I bought an A.J. McCarron card. The minute Andy Dalton gets hurt or booed out of town and and, and A.J. McCarron looks like he's a starter, I'm selling that card. I bought two Brandon Cooks autographs. I'll likely keep one of them. But if he has any kind of uh, good season this year, kind of trends up in the hobby, maybe uh, f- from fantasy football purposes, uh, then, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sell it. For sure, get some of my money back, not in the business of having a big box of cards. So I think those are some of the strategies you can do. There's other strategies. Again, I think if you're going to play in kind of the higher end card and higher end, I mean by kind of 50 cents or more. Stick with the high quality players. You know, if you want to play the prospect game and get, you know, buy this guy and, and and sell him when he's hot, you can play that game. But that's that's not my that's not my game. There's there's you're adding an extra variable there. He's got to play. He's got to get playing time. He's got to get called up, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the game I like playing. I like buying cards of either guys that are no one cares about, really. Or. Derek Jeter, Cal Ripken Jr., um, you know, Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. I mean, Michael Jordan and Derek Jeter, if you want like liquid gold, it's Derek Jeter and Michael Jordan. They don't sell instantly. If they're low priced, yeah, they'll sell it instantly. I have a couple Derek Jeter cards that I've held on to for about 20, 30 days now. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, you, you, You can do well selling Jordan and Jeter cards. I think if you want to play around in the higher end stuff, again, I'd focus on kind of the Hall of Fame type player. Otherwise, you're just going to be holding on to it. If you have like a Bruce Smith, I think he might even be on the Hall of Fame. Or if you have like a Jake Long card, I just sold one. That's why I said his name. But I sold it for $0.11. Cents. I think if you're trying to sell a $11 Jake Long card or a $15 Jake Long card, it's going to take you much longer to sell it. Unless you just have it priced super low. And remember with these, with the higher end cards, people are going to, uh, going to look on eBay to see what the card goes for. And they're going to offer you less than that. 99% of the time, they're going to offer you less than that. If the card just sold for $7 plus shipping on eBay, they're going to offer you less than that. That's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. So I hope uh, that piece of advice helped a little bit. Again, I play in the, the low-priced game. I think the key times on Check On My Cards, if you're a buyer, are say you should be buying. When everybody's selling that's when you buy when everybody's buying that's when you should be selling it's just like the stock market when everybody's buying stocks and it's oh my god when everybody's getting rich in the stock market that's time to sell in 2008, when everybody was, oh, the world's going to end and oh my God, these, you know, Nike and, and Google and Apple are going to go out of business and, you know, everybody doesn't have any money. That was when you should have bought. Instead, most people often do the opposite. Second thing with out my cards and eBay and everything in the sports card business, it's not quick money. If you want quick money... You are being an amateur about it by trying to get quick money in the sports card business. Sports card business is kind of slow and steady with some peaks and valleys. There's some peaks, spring cleaning sales, Black Friday. Maybe you happen to you know, fall into a really good deal, get lucky, whatever it is. Uh, maybe some of the cards you have, the players start doing well, whatever they get more popular, whatever it might be. Yeah, you make a little bit of money, but that's not sustainable. That doesn't happen week after week, day after day. And you kind of need that with quick money. It need, doesn't need to happen every day. It's just like stock trading. I, I'm not on here trading stocks every day. There are certain times, certain setups, certain things I look for. In fact, I've been, I haven't bought a stock in months. been selling them. And so, you know, adjusting your strategy kind of that way. But the quick money is there occasionally. If you know what you're doing, uh, there's better ways to make quick money. But if you're kind of looking for slow and steady, and for me, it was, hey, I wanted a couple cards. I didn't want to just deposit the money on check on my cards and buy them. I wanted to see if, hey, maybe I could buy some other cards and resell them and then buy the cards I wanted. And I ended up working out. I'm going to buy them, buying more cards than I thought I was going to have. And I could have withdrew the cash too if I if I needed the cash or wanted the cash. I certainly could have withdrawn. But, but to be honest with you, a seventy, you know, hundred dollars isn't a huge amount of money to me, and and I'd have to ten exit or hundred exit to really want to you know need it or want to withdraw it. So I'll keep you guys updated on my second account here. Because I think it's a little bit more approachable. My other account. I have thousands and thousands of cards. I've deposited. I don't know. X amount of thousands of dollars. I've resold tons of different things. It's kind of hard to. It's a really mature account. This account's only two months old. So. um, And I started with a hundred. Again. I shipped about $75 worth of cards to me. And I have. I have a two hundred and two dollar asking price on five hundred cards on the site. So um, even if I were run a half off sale, probably for several days, I would probably be able to whittle that down um, considerably. So and you know keep your strat. You know keep your strategy. If you're if you're into eBay or check out my cards or other sites or forums or, or card shows or whatever it might be, keep your keep your goals. You know, low. I don't. This isn't a hobby where you need to set really high goals. Oh, I'm going to put a thousand hundred dollars into my my card account, and at the end of the year, I'm going to have ten thousand dollars. You'd be better off spending your time and money on something else that that had a much more much greater likelihood of actually occurring. I know people that have done that playing online poker. They've started the account with a zero, and at the end of the year, had ten thousand. A lot more people play online poker, and it's a lot faster, To a lot riskier. If you want to turn a dollars into $10,000, you need to take bigger risk. Cards are just not a big, uh, big enough market, not big enough risk being taken by people. So hope that helped uh, answer your question. Ari, thanks again for getting at me on Twitter. Anybody else that has questions or clarifications can always do that, and I'd I encourage it because... You know, Just because we did a five-hour show, that was mo- mainly 90% of my brother doing the talking. I couldn't do a five-hour show unless I had a bunch of topics given to me. So um, send them my way. I'd be happy to um, take a listen. So anyways, thanks for hanging w- uh, with us for another podcast. I'll be back again shortly with another show but until then thank you very much for tuning in hope everything's going well for you and your collections for now we are out of here